just as Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, let us also then set our faces to follow him. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. As we look into God's Word here this morning, we're going to see some of the things that Jesus said can be a little challenging for us, or a little convicting, or we might say something like, well, Jesus, that's not very nice. I wouldn't have said it that way, right? And sometimes we wonder, well, boy, that's kind of a hard thing that Jesus said there, but I'm going to ask you just to stick with it for a minute here and listen and hear what Jesus is saying. Because the reality is there is no greater kindness than speaking the truth in love, is there? There is no greater kindness for someone than to speak truth in love. And there is no greater kindness that God does than to speak truth in love. And there is nothing greater, there is no greater love than to know the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ is there. So as we hear his word here today, I want you to hear something. You might kind of step back and say, well, wait a minute. What did he mean by that? Why did he say that? But listen to what he's saying and know there's no greater kindness than to know the truth and the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to talk here today then. First, we want to talk a little bit about following Jesus, that we are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ that believing in him, in his life, his death, his resurrection, being united with faith with him in his perfect life of obedience to all of God's law, and being united with him when he died, when he took on the judgment or the punishment for our sins upon himself, being united with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection then, What a wondrous thing, how our sins are forgiven. We're given the gift of eternal life. We're given perfect righteousness and holiness in him. We have the hope, the hope of the resurrection of the body and the renewal of all things, the new earth. Say someone who believes these things, we may use the word Christian or disciple, a student or a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, then, are those who have believed in him. They are students of him, always learning from him. And they are following, seeking to follow his lead in their life, to follow his example. We seek to become, then, more like him in his character, in his priorities, in his mission. We seek to become more like him, then, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is at work in us. So we are continuing then in our sermon series called Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are looking at the life and the ministry of the most important person who ever lived, that he is unique, no one else like him. He is the God-man, that he is fully, truly God, and fully and truly human, both the God-man. And he is worthy, then, of our faith, our obedience. He's worthy of our all. 
We are taking a harmony of the Gospels approach. We're not looking at, as you know, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that are, that are the primary sources that tell us about the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn a few things from him in other books of the New Testament, but most of it, it's in those Gospel books there. And rather than looking at one of those, we are doing a harmony, that is where we're putting them all together. And I am following an arrangement then, as been suggested by Dr. John MacArthur in this book called One Perfect Life, The Complete Story of the Lord Jesus. So continuing then today, we are looking here on this issue here of set your face. Um, let's see, do we have... Um, I think, yeah, we have a wrong text there, a wrong slide up there, a wrong slide, but that's all right. We are looking, continuing then in part 14 here called Set Your Face. Our text is going to be from John chapter 7, verses 2 through 10, Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, and a bulk of it then comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. So if you want to look in your, your Bibles, it'll be in John chapter 7, verses 2 through 10, kind of the first part, and then the bulk of it is going to come from the Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. But here is the key thought I want us to take away from this today, and that is this, that just as Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, let us also then set our faces to follow him. I wonder, set your face? What does that mean, to set your face? Well, hold on. We're going to get to that, what that means when it says that Jesus set his face, and we too then need to set our face. But first, a little context here. Uh, Jesus' earthly ministry lasted a little over three years, and it culminated in the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension in Jerusalem which now, at this point in our text, is a a little uh, less than a year away as we go back here into the text. Jesus traveled all over the land of Israel with brief forays into Gentile lands outside of Israel. But the great majority of his time was spent in Galilee, the region of Israel north of Jerusalem. He came preaching good news, good news of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God over all things. He authenticated himself as the Messiah, the Savior, through whom, through his wondrous miracles and through his teaching. He has been teaching the word of God to people. He has been preparing his disciples for the mission that they will soon have of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he, of course, has attracted great crowds. He has attracted great crowds, some of whom believed in him as the Messiah. But he has also attracted enemies, people who did not believe in him. The religious rulers in Jerusalem, they were aligning against him, and they were beginning to seek to kill him because he was a threat to them and because he told them the truth about their wicked and hypocritical hearts. Now, some of the people believed in him, but it was not a full understanding of him. That would not come until later, after the resurrection and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. But nevertheless, they believed in him. They accepted him. But many did not, including, for the time being, even Jesus' own half-brothers. 
Let's look at John uh, chapter 7, verses 2 through 10. Here we are told then, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to him, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So first here in our text, unbelief. They were going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three major feasts of the Jews. There was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles commemorated Israel's wilderness wandering after the exodus from slavery in Egypt. And the people would celebrate by building makeshift shelters out of leaves and branches, just as their forefathers had done in the wilderness. They were like little tents or tabernacles there. And two of the prominent features of the Feast of Tabernacles was the drawing of water and a lamp lighting ceremony. I want you to remember that, not today, but in weeks upcoming where we will see then that Jesus would later comment on that, on this water, drawing of water and a lamp lighting ceremony as applying then to himself as he was the water of life. He is the living water and that he is the light. He is the light of the world. We're told here then that he, in speaking with his brother, brothers, remember these were half-brothers, that is, they had the same biological mother, Mary, but they had a different father. These brothers were biological sons of Joseph. And the scriptures list their names as James and Joseph, Simon and Judas, and Jesus had sisters as well. But he tells them, his brothers say to him, depart, depart from here and go into Judea. So he said, much of Jesus' ministry had taken place in Galilee, even this little section on the northwest shore, shore of the Sea of Galilee. Over 90% of his ministry had taken place there. And so now they're challenging him and saying, Jesus, okay, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, then, well, you need to go to Jerusalem, right? Because that's where Messiah needs to be. You need to convince the nation, and the nation, the powers that be, that's in Jerusalem, so you need to go there, Jesus. What are you doing? Wasting your time up here. If you're the Messiah, you shouldn't be up here. You should be down there. Very human thinking, don't you think? And what does that tell them, do you think, about what kind of Messiah were they thinking he was or expecting him to be? Once again, like so many others, what? A kind of political Messiah. 
and earthly. You're, you're here to, to rule and to reign politically and to establish a, a, a political and earthly kingdom here. So if, if that's, well, and if that's who you are, again, they didn't really even believe <laughs> in that, right? So, but if, if that's who you are, then you should be in Jerusalem. So why don't you go on? Now is the perfect opportunity, Jesus. We've got the feast going on. The fe- of those feasts, this was the most popular one. You're going to have all kinds of people there from all over the land of Israel. You should go there and do it there. So they were challenging him then to go and to do these miracles, these things he was doing there. You should do them there, right? But they weren't just looking to give the Messiah advice. You see, they were saying this out of unbelieving hearts. Because, you know, the reality is there were a lot of people who, that they believed in Jesus, but they still didn't quite understand the nature of his mission and what it meant that he was going to be Messiah and the Savior, the King. His own disciples, right? They didn't fully understand that yet. But his brothers, though, they weren't just, it's not that they believed in him, but they didn't understand his mission. It's that they just plain did not believe in him. It's amazing, isn't it? Don't you think? Boy, did did anybody know Jesus better than them? But they did not believe in him. By the way, this speaks to us as well, doesn't it? We should not be surprised to find opposition and unbelief even in our own homes, should we? And it is painful. It's painful, I know. But it should not surprise us. So his brothers wanted Jesus then to go up to Jerusalem to make a great show of himself there as the Messiah. If you're the Messiah, then then do that, Jesus. But Jesus said no, because his time had not yet come. They did not understand his mission. The time was not yet right for when he would go. He would would go and present himself in Jerusalem to fulfill his messianic mission. But it was not to be a political ruler. It was for what? To, To die. To die for our sins. To save much more than to save a a political nation, but to save souls, to redeem the creation. So, by the way, his brothers would later believe in him, wouldn't they? In fact, we know one of them, James, would be the author of the book of James in the New Testament. Another one, Jude, would be the author of the book of Jude in the New Testament. But at this point, they didn't believe in him. So he tells his brothers, well, you should go on up to the feast. The time is always right for you and for doing that. But he is not yet going up to the feast. Some people read this and they think, what, was Jesus lying to them? He said, oh, I'm not going. And then they go, and then he goes. No, he's not. He is saying he's not going to go for the reason they want him to go in the way they want him to go. He is not yet going up. So after they departed, 
Then he too would go to the feast, but not in the way that they were telling him to go and for the purposes of going that they had in mind. But rather, he would go secretly, not openly, because his time to go openly as Messiah, when he would give his life on the cross, that time had not yet come. Nevertheless, Jesus knew that time was coming, didn't he? And look what Luke says about that, about how he set his face for that time. We read, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, a certain scribe came and said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another of his disciples, Follow me. But he said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Some strange words on the part of Jesus, don't you think? Maybe a little unkind, maybe a little strange, like, well, what's the problem with that, Jesus, right? Well, stay tuned here. First, some resolve. We see resolve on the part of Jesus. When the time had come for him to be received up, as Jesus knew that the time was drawing near, when he would go and he would indeed present himself openly and he would be received by some but rejected as a whole by the nation, by the nation's leadership and they would crucify him thinking they were getting rid of a problem not realizing that what? That they were actually fulfilling the eternal plan of God for the salvation of people. But nevertheless, that when that time was coming, he knew it was drawing near. It says he set his face toward Jerusalem. To set his face. What does that mean? Well, well just think about that for a minute. If you take it to set your face, just imagine being set like stone, like a, like a sculpture of rock or marble or something, right? And that speaks to what? Resolve, determination, to follow through, to carry on with the mission, no matter what, no matter the cost, no matter what it takes.
no matter how painful, that he was resolved. His face was set toward Jerusalem. His face was set. He was determined that he was going to follow through on the mission of dying in Jerusalem for sin. And he, followed, he calls his followers then to have the same kind of resolve. That is to follow him in his mission, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, no matter the cost. That everything else in life is secondary to the mission. This does not mean that nothing else in life is important or valuable or worthwhile of our time and effort, but it does mean that everything, though, is secondary to what? To the mission of following Jesus Christ, of knowing him as the Savior and following him in his mission of redemption. Everything else in life Even good things, important things, are secondary to knowing him and carrying out his mission in the world. So we see resolve there, but we also, unfortunately, we see rejection as they were on their way. They were in Galilee, they were traveling south to Jerusalem, and most Jews at that time, they would go around the the area of the region of Samaria, Because who lived in Samaria? Samaritans, right? And there was great enmity between Jews and Samaritans. See, the Samaritans they considered were considered half-breeds by the Jews. These were descendants of the people when the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 700 BC, 700 years before, that when the people of Assyria then they began intermingling uh, uh, inter, uh, with them. And so they were considered not just uh, biological, but also spiritual half-breeds as well then. And so there was tension between the Jews and them. So as Jesus went through there, the Samaritans did not receive him as his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. That is, he was not interested in, in their worship. He would not worship on their mount Mount Gerizim, which was a rival to the temple in Jerusalem, that he was heading to Jerusalem, and they were rejecting him. And so two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, see this, and they're so angry with how the people there were rejecting, the people in this village were rejecting Jesus, that they wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume them. This is reminiscent of a time when Elijah did this, when Elijah called for fire to come down from heaven and consume the enemies of God. And so they say, Jesus, shall we do that? Shall we call for that? But Jesus says, what? He has not come to destroy men, but to do what? To save them. By the way, Jesus had a nickname for James and John. He called them what? The Sons of thunder, right? Here's an example of why. You see that? But essentially, so here were the sons of thunder. They, they had fiery tempers. Oh, you're going to reject us? Rejecting Jesus? Well, let's have fire from heaven come down and consume them. They were the sons of thunder. And yet, as a little time would go by, James would become, he would be the first martyr 
to give his life for Christ. And John, we would come to know him as the, the apostle of love, right? The author of the Gospel of John, the letters of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, but also Revelation. So being in Jesus' presence and learning from Jesus changed them, didn't it? We also see then of an incident as they were on the way of privation. Privation is what? Being not having sometimes basic needs. It's discomfort. It says that a a man comes and says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now you and me, great, come on, come with us. The more the merrier, right? But Jesus, when he would see people, he didn't just see the outside. What else did he see? He saw their hearts. So he saw this man's heart. And so he speaks to the heart of this man, and he says, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning what? You want to follow me? You want to come and follow us? But, but you know what? I, it's going to be hard. You might have to go without the comforts of life, right? I don't have a home to offer you. I, I don't even have a home. It's going to be hard. You may have to, you may be challenged <laughs> to follow me, Right? See, others like him, they would come up to him and they would want to join him. But Jesus says, if they were going to be true followers of him, that there was a cost for that. Now, salvation is free, isn't it? It's a gift of God received by faith. But following Jesus, though, is costly. There's a price. There might be sometimes a, it might be uncomfortable to follow Jesus. Had anybody discovered that here, that it's a little uncomfortable sometimes to follow Jesus, right? There might be a sacrifice you have to make. But we cannot seek our comfort and our security in this life and in the things of this world, can we? Now, God has promised to meet and to supply our needs, hasn't he? But we cannot put our trust in those things. We cannot seek those things first. We must seek Christ and his kingdom first, right? Also see, he saw the heart of another man. He saw worldliness. This is something that people read this and think, what in the world is wrong with Jesus here? Why would he say such a thing as that, right? A man comes to, he says, uh, he said to another, follow me. But this man says, Lord, Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Look at this. What's the matter with you, Jesus? How could he say such a thing? To us, it reads like what? The man's father has died. Can't he just take a day or two to bury him and then he can follow him? But that wasn't what was happening here. Because remember, Jesus, we see the exterior Jesus sees the interior, he sees the heart as well. And so bury his father there. This does not mean that the man's father had just died right then and they needed to go and bury him first. But rather, bury his father was an expression, a figure of speech 
that in their culture meant, let me first receive my inheritance. In other words, he was saying, okay, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but, you know, I want to get my affairs in order here. And, you know, when, you know, when my father dies, then I'll receive his inheritance, and I'll have the money and the house, and the, I'll get all of those things in order, and then I'll come and follow you. So, no, the man's father had not just died, and they're not waiting. He didn't need a day to put his corpse in the ground. He was saying, let me get my inheritance. Let me get my... Let me get my worldly affairs in order here. Let me get my money all straightened out. Then I'll come and follow you. That's what he was saying. And that's why Jesus says, what? Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. A little harsh, don't you think? But what's he saying? He's saying what? Let the spiritually dead take care of worldly things. You go and preach heavenly things, the kingdom of God, Right? We also see an example then, too, of a a half-hearted commitment. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to them, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, we might think we just look at this, it's like, really, Jesus, I can't take 30 seconds to go and say, hey, I'm leaving to follow Jesus, goodbye, no, that wasn't the issue. He was looking at their heart, and what do you see? Let me go first and, and bid them farewell. He was seeing what? A, a half-hearted commitment. Like he was, like his family was more important to him than, than Jesus was. And again, does Jesus want us to love our families and care? Of course he does. That's not the issue. Again, it's about what? Priorities that Jesus comes first. And of course, the reality is, is if we truly know Jesus and are growing in Jesus, we are going to love our families, aren't we? We are going to care for our families. But the issue is wholehearted commitment to Christ, not half-hearted. Jesus does not want half-hearted followers. He wants wholly devoted followers, followers, doesn't he? And so that is the issue. He says, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now I know today, farmers today, we have our, our, our tractors and GPS even now, right? Where they sit there and it's just all kinds of amazing uh, technology that we can use now to plow a field. Well, they didn't have all that back then. They had what? Like a, an ox and a, and a plow. And uh, to, in order to, to plow it, you had to go out there with that, and you would have one hand on the plow, one hand on the reins, kind of guiding the ox where you wanted to go. And as you can imagine, that was, that's a good bit of work, wasn't it? That was hard work, plowing that field there. But if you're trying to plow that field and you're constantly looking back, what's going to happen? If you're constantly looking back, looking this way and doing that way, you're, you're, going, all, you're, you're going here and there and everywhere instead of nice straight rows, Right? So what is Jesus saying about following him then? That if we're, if we're going to follow him, but we're doing this and that, what's our life look like? We're here, we're there, we're going, going everywhere, right? He wants followers who are focused on him, plowing straight ahead, following straight paths in life, right? So no, the issue here was not about taking a minute to say goodbye to his family. 
was about this half-hearted commitment that Jesus saw. Just like uh, another example, sometimes people will read and think, well, how could Jesus say such a thing as that? There was this young man. He was a very wealthy young man. He wanted to follow Jesus. Again, we'd say, great, come on, right? But Jesus said what? First, go and sell all that you have. Then come and follow me. So is the lesson from that that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to take all, everything we have and sell it and follow it? No. He was what? He was isolating onto an issue or a problem in that young man's heart. And what was that young man's problem? Materialism, right? His money and things were more important to him than Jesus. So he said, what? Go and sell all of those things and then follow me. By the way, is anybody else in here still in, in process, if you will, or on a journey to becoming wholehearted, a wholehearted follower of Jesus? I am, right? So no, we don't all start off on day one, the wholehearted follower of Jesus that we're all seeking to grow toward, right? But in these instances, Jesus is identifying the heart issue with these people. It says you need to deal with that. Text tells us that Jesus set his face, firm resolve. Nothing was going to stop him from fulfilling his mission, even though he knew full well what that meant and the price that he was going to pay, right? He knew full well what that meant. But I call this message, set your face. We are called to what? To do the same. To set our faces, to follow him. What might that mean? Well, if we set our face, it might mean enduring painful unbelief. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's a husband or a wife or children, parents, others, that it's painful to feel that sense of rejection and unbelief, isn't it? But Jesus comes first, not pleasing our families, Set your face, it might mean enduring painful unbelief. Set your face, it might mean facing rejection, persecution, or even death. There are a number of believers in this world right now that it means exactly this, doesn't it? Rejection, persecution, and death. Do you think it's going to get harder to be a follower, a faithful follower of Christ in America? I think so. It already is, isn't it? Might persecution and death come to the church in America? Maybe. But it's definitely going to get harder. We're definitely going to feel more and more the pain and the sting of rejection, aren't we, by the culture? But we need to set our face for the mission. Right? How about this? It might mean accepting physical or emotional Discomfort. The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, the Son of Man has... We may be made uncomfortable. We may feel like we're being deprived of something or lacking in some way. But the reality is, are any of us truly being deprived of what we need? Nope. (laughs) We have everything we need in Christ, don't we? It definitely will mean rejecting worldly priorities. That's something that's true for all of us. If we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus, 
Let me go and bury my father first. Means what? Let, let me get my inheritance. Let me get my financial, you know, let, let me get set financially and then I'll follow you. No, it's rejecting worldly priorities. Now, are there important things that we need to deal with living in this world, putting financial matters in order and things like that? Absolutely. In fact, there's this great new study on Sunday nights to help people do just that, right? To put financial matters in order from a biblical perspective. Absolutely, we need to do that. But again, the issue is what? Priorities. Who or what comes first? Christ does, right? Set your face then. It means to wholeheartedly follow Christ. I said, this is something I am still learning to do. You know, I was... um, One of the the dangers in preaching the Word of God is, first of all, there there is a profound sense of responsibility that comes with that to preach it accurately, to preach it well. But there's this other part. It's like, you know, it's, it's like you don't just do this and then put the message out there for other people to hear and obey. It's something that the preacher first must hear and obey, right? Practice what you preach. There's even an expression about that, right? And so I've been thinking about that this week here. And I've realized, and I've been, I've been doing this for a while here, but I'm thinking, about, you know, you know, folks, I spend a little bit too much of my time and my energy rehearsing the past and thinking about the past, right? I'm, I'm, I'm pl- and I'm kind of looking at the past, trying to reflect on things of the past experiences and trying to certain unresolved questions from the past. And you know what? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. I'm not saying we don't learn from the past and we don't remember those lessons. We do, right? We learn from the past. We, we remember. God tells us to remember things, right? To remember his faithfulness. All of, of course. I'm not saying we forget all that. But I'm saying but what, what some, people, <clears throat> some people may do is what, to constantly rehearse the past in, in, in almost this kind of uh, unhelpful, nostalgic kind of sense. You understand? You need to go forward. Stop looking back. If you live in the past, you can't go forward, right? Wholeheartedly follow Christ, looking forward to what's ahead. So what? What do I do with this? As Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, let us set our faces to follow him. So I ask, will you determine to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, to accept whatever may come. The sting of unbelief, of rejection, persecution, even death, of privation, rejecting worldly priorities. Stop looking back and focus forward straight ahead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that our salvation, our redemption is full and complete in him. Thank you that we receive this as a gift by faith. 
But Lord, may we follow him then now and live our lives in a worthy manner. That is a life which is truly and wholeheartedly devoted to him. Lord, we are all in process. We are all on this journey. Thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have for those daily sins, those that traveling dirt it's been called. Thank you, Lord, how you cleanse us and renew us day by day. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes focused upon you, to keep our faces set, determined, resolved to follow you with all of our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.